Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. If you'd like to know more about us, just check out our website at sunridgechurch.org. And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. I'm going to reintroduce myself. <laughs> My name is Danny Sugimoto. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Thank you for reading our passage this morning. Uh, I have the privilege of continuing our series in Luke, where we've been, this is the third week of that series, where we've been walking through this gospel, this, this narrative of who Jesus is. I am fumbling around everywhere. I am. I'm so sorry. I can't get my mask off. I can't get in a chair. It's like I'm a child learning how to do things for the first time. <laughs> but we are in the third week of this series in Luke in the midst of Christmas. Uh, next week is Christmas. My son, uh, I can't tell. We're driving to Sacramento later today. My wife texted me after I got here and she said, Theo is so excited for the Sacramento trip. So I honestly can't tell if he's more excited to, for Christmas to be here next week and gifts and all the things that come with that, or if he's more excited to drive for seven or eight hours inside of a rented minivan. Uh, it's ridiculous. Uh, but it is the Christmas season. Uh, and as you just heard, like I said, we are going through the gospel of Luke. And today we're spending some time focusing on the words of Mary, mother of Jesus. Uh, we are still in chapter one of Luke. Uh, a whole lot has happened and not a lot of space. So let's just recap what has occurred so far. First, uh, we've had an angel of the Lord appear to Zechariah, this priest, and he's promised uh, the pregnancy and then the subsequent birth of John the Baptist. And then we have that story paired with this foretelling of the birth of Jesus, also by an angel of the Lord. And these two people stand at polar opposite ends of an age spectrum. You have Zechariah, this priest who is old, his wife Elizabeth, also old. And then you have Mary, this young girl, who is perhaps as young as 13 or 14. And this angel tells Mary in this foretelling of the birth of Jesus that her cousin, Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife, is also pregnant. And she's in the sixth month of her pregnancy. And again, because she is old, her, this is a miracle. She is considered to be burden, barren, rather, unable to have children. And so Mary goes with haste to visit her cousin who's excited to see her. Elizabeth is then filled with the Holy Spirit and is one of the first people to recognize who Mary's son is going to be. Elizabeth says this in verse 42, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me for as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. This is where our passage picks up. Blessed is she who believed. At these words, Mary launches into a song of praise, a song of worship. And I don't know about you, but if I were a 13 or 14 year old girl and I found out that I was going to be miraculously impregnated, I'm not so certain that rejoice and, and praise would be at the top of my list of responses. I mean, I think through the pregnancy of my first son, uh, Theo, 
And I was out, I don't remember what kind of day it was, it might have been a Saturday or a Friday, but I was out at a coffee shop doing some work, uh, just trying to, to get some things done before Sunday, and I decide, you know, I, I've, I've done my thing, I'm just going to go home. And so I get in my car, I drive home, completely assuming it's going to be a normal day, I'm going to get home, I'm going to watch some Netflix, I'm going to eat some like pizza rolls or whatever you do on a day off, I don't know. And I get home and my wife says, hey, why don't you just come upstairs when you get home? And I'm like, okay, cool, whatever, no big deal. And so I go upstairs and there on the bed was a pregnancy test and a onesie that said, oh poop, <laughs> which perfectly summarizes exactly how I felt in that moment. It was, oh poop, when I found out she was pregnant. But Mary here, 13, 14 years old, that's not how she responds. What we see here is Luke already working to show his audience, to show his reader just how special Mary is. Because one of Luke's motifs in the presentation of Mary is that she is a model believer, a model believer, the absolutely devoted follower of God. And so what we see here is the perfect response of someone who fits that description, the perfect response of someone who, when given news that could be overwhelming, that could make them say, oh, poop, uh, responds exactly how she should. She launches into the song of joy, the song of worship the song of faithfulness in her God. She is the one who is truly blessed because of how she chose to believe and how she chose to trust in God in that moment. And so turning back to our passage of scripture that Jenny read for us today, I think there are three things that we can kind of pull out of this text that will help us understand the importance of Mary's words in their original context, as well as for us thousands of years later, just a few days away from 2022. And so the first thing that we uncover here is this reminder that God is here. God is here. God is here with us. God was there with Mary and what this means for us is that God is listening to us. God is paying attention. God is present in the moment with us. This holiday season is meant to be the season of hope, a season of love and joy. It's meant to be this time where people come together to celebrate the true meaning of Christmas. And so we do that through the giving of gifts, through celebrations, through gatherings, through wearing ugly sweaters. We anticipate the arrival of Jesus by surrounding ourselves with loved ones, with friends and family, the people that we care about most in this world. But oftentimes during this season of Christmas, we find ourselves remembering and thinking about and dwelling on the people who are no longer with us, the people that we've lost. During this Christmas season, we spend a lot of time focusing on what's missing. These last two years of pandemic life have been hard on many of us. As you've seen, it stressed me out so much I can't even take my mask off. Uh, but it's a season that's been marked uh, by stress, by trying to figure it out. It's been a season that many of us would say has been one without peace. Many of us have lost people that we know to COVID or we've lost friends because of how we've chosen to respond to COVID. Uh, and Mary's song here is an acknowledgement of those feelings. In this song that she offers up, this song of praise, we recognize that God is still here with us, even in the midst of these painful memories. We see this in how Mary's language speaks of God as a savior. In verse 46, it says, my soul magnifies the Lord. It's how its song opens. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. The language of savior implies that Mary needs to be saved from something. There's something in her life that she would classify as a struggle. 
There's something in her life that she feels uh, is in conflict with where she's trying to go. Something is missing maybe, or something feels like it's missing. And so she has brought these concerns, these questions, these worries to God. And now we get to witness God stepping in to bless. We get to witness God stepping in to save and to rescue. And God knew exactly what time and when and how to rescue here because God has always been listening to us. God has always been listening to our concerns. Mary's song here also has connections back to Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 2, where God is praised as being one who delivers, one who rescues, one who saves from the enemy. In Hannah's prayer, God breaks the weapons of the warriors. God resurrects the dead, and God provides children for those who were once barren, like Elizabeth. And one of the things that's really remarkable about Mary's song here is the language that is used. It's rendered in what's known as the prophetic perfect. Uh, This is a verb tense that's used to talk about future events, uh, but it does so in a way that uh, it's as if these events have already happened. So it's talking about this future pending action that is so certain to, uh, to happen. It's so certain to come to pass that it's addressed in the past tense. We see it in phrases like, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud. He has brought down the powerful. He has helped his servant Israel. All of these things Happened, haven't happened uh, actually in history, but they're talked about with such certainty that it's used in the past tense. She's talking about these as past events because she's able to recognize the presence of God here. Mary is able to recognize the imminence of God in this world because of her faithful devotion to God. She knows that when God speaks, When God makes a promise to his people, to his creation, when God speaks a word to us, that deed is as good as done. We can rest on that. We can trust that. So she taps into this reminder that God is already at work in the world and that through the birth of this son, through the entrance of Jesus into the world, through the incarnation, the rest is just a matter of time. God is here with us. The second thing that we uncover is this idea of a world made new, a world that is being restored actively. In her use of this prophetic perfect tense, the back half of Mary's song really functions more like uh, the speaking of prophecy. She's joining up in the legacy of all those prophets who have come before her in what we consider the Old Testament, and she's recognizing the new thing that God is doing in this world. And she doesn't just recognize this and acknowledge it and be like, that's cool, thanks God, but she attempts to usher it in, to invite it into the space that she is living in. She's attempting to become more aware of all the things that are happening in and around her. And so what Mary describes in verses 52 and 53 is what's known as an upside-down kingdom. This is an idea that Britt talked about last week, if you were here with us. Um, What it is, is this idea that the people who are seated at the top of the social structure, the social hierarchy, so the wealthy, people that are, uh, would be considered the elite, politicians, what we might consider the 1%, those people would now be brought down and seated in lower positions, while the people who were already in those lower positions, the poor, the hungry, the outcasts, orphans, and widows, those people would be elevated to higher, more honorable levels of status. So what God has done is kind of flipped this kingdom over. 
And in doing so, God has made a new world. But often when we think about that flipping of our kingdom, this upside downness of that kingdom, we imagine it like a triangle. You've got the powerful at the top, the people with the money, the access, the good connections, the networking, and underneath at the very bottom are everybody else, the poor, the people we would push out. And so when we think of the upside down kingdom, we flip it over and we say, now look who's at the top. It's these poor that are at the top now. And then these these powerful are down at the very bottom. But that is not what Mary describes here. It's not this inversion of like a pyramid of success. Instead, what she describes here is an equalizer. It's an equalization of people, a balancing out of power and power structures. It's bringing everyone up or down to being at the same level. So the people at the top who are comfortable using their influence, using their authority, using their money and their wealth in order to gain access to more things, they no longer have that ability because the low have been brought up and raised to the same level. And so in this new kingdom, in this equalized kingdom, it is a world that is focused on justice. It is a world that's focused and thirsty for righteousness. Mary is offering up a reminder that God has always been concerned about these things going as far back as the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Malachi, even into the Levitical law, God has repeated this cry over and over for Israel to be a nation that is concerned with justice, that is concerned with righteousness. And justice in scripture functions differently than how we might think about it today. There's this fantastic video by this organization called The Bible Project, which attempts to, uh, to bring biblical education to everybody so that you don't have to go to seminary, you don't have to go to Bible college to be uh, equipped with the tools necessary. And they have a fantastic video uh, that gets to what the heart of biblical justice is. But essentially, biblical justice recognizes the way that humans so often redefine the boundary of what is good or what is evil what is morally acceptable and what is unethical in order to gain an individual advantage. And typically when we do this, when we change the boundaries of what's good and what's evil, we do it at the expense of other people. And so biblical justice, the Hebrew word is mishpat. uh, It's this seeking out. It's this desire to choose to seek out the vulnerable, to seek out the people who've been kind of walked over, people who've been overlooked and attempting to restore those people. And they're not just restoring those people and bringing them up, making sure everything's good, but it's about being intentional about making sure what happened to them never happens to anyone else again. It's about building a new system that seeks to uh, prevent injustice from ever occurring. It's about making sure that socioeconomic status, that skin color, that gender don't play a role in who is able to access what God is distributing to the world. It's no longer hidden behind a paywall. It is for all people. God's goodness is poured out for all people. And so in Mary's time, it might be looking like making sure that the people that are the aristocrats, the wealthy, can't simply buy their way into getting more food at the harvest. They can't just say, like, I'm going to give you uh, X amount of shekels and you're going to give me three times more. Okay, cool. They make sure that that doesn't happen. It means establishing then a healthy standard so that the poor who can't afford that, who giving that much money would just wreck them, are able to have enough food to take home. And so throughout the Old Testament, God has shown this heart towards justice. And it's the same with righteousness. This call to live towards a new ethical standard that sees the image of God in all people. This call to treat others with dignity and with respect. 
This call that carries out God's laws and seeks to model God's heart for those who are most vulnerable in society. In this world made new, this equalized kingdom that God is bringing and has already brought to earth, God is seeking justice. God is seeking righteousness. And God is seeking people who are willing to carry out that call. It's a world where people have the same access to this new life that God gives to us all. It's a place where people are treated with dignity, a place where people are treated with respect and where its inhabitants choose to see the image of God in everyone. That is the vision that Mary has captured. That is the vision that Mary shares of a world made new. God is here. God has made and is making this world new. And the third thing that we pull out from this passage, salvation is at hand. Salvation is at hand. Mary sings a song recognizing God's presence in our world, God's presence in our lives. She recognizes that God is doing a work of redemption, a work of reconciliation. And then she recognizes that salvation for all people is nearby. At the end of her song, Mary dips back into this prophetic perfect, this language of speaking prophecy, and she acknowledges that God has already started this process of rescue, that God has already started redeeming us and our world. And for us, it's a thing that we get to look back on every year during this Christmas season, and we get to reflect on it. But for, sorry, I skipped a line. (laughs) Uh, We get to look back on it thousands of years later and go, that's great. Look at what God has done. Look at the way that God has entered into the world through Jesus Christ. We get to recognize the fullness of the gift that God has offered to us and know that God is saying, here, this is yours. If you want new life, if you want a new beginning, if you want new hope, if you want to step into this thing, it is yours. I am offering it to you. But Mary, being in this moment, she gets to watch it unfold. She gets to watch God's vision, God's act of salvation unfurl before her like a red carpet. And she just gets to walk across in the birth of her son. Before the crucifixion is even an idea in her mind. At this moment, just after an angel says, you're going to get pregnant, she is able to recognize that the birth of her son is going to establish something brand new in this world that through her son, mercy will be experienced. And in fact, uh, in the counterpart song to this one, it comes a little bit later, it's sung and spoken by Zechariah. The language of this savior salvation connection is only further emphasized. Zechariah says, God has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. God has saved his people from the hands of the enemies. Together, these two songs joined up with Hannah's song in 1 Samuel point to a God who is actively in the process of bringing salvation close to creation. Salvation is at hand. The world is being made new and God is here with us. You might be thinking, that's great. But what does it mean for me? How does this affect my life as I head into the Christmas season? Why would Luke even write about any of this in the first place? And I think one of the reasons why Luke chose to write this particular story, this song that Mary is singing, is so that we could recognize one simple truth. So the point of all of this is simple. God remembers, God restores, and God allows us to respond. 
God remembers, God restores, and God lets us respond. Mary makes clear references to promises made to her early ancestors. She says, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Zechariah in his song later in this chapter echoes these same promises. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us that we being rescued from the hands of our enemies might serve him without fear. God has remembered the promises. All those years ago, the promises made to Abram about becoming a people who would outnumber the stars. The, the promises about making a new name, the promises regarding rescue and deliverance and salvation. God has remembered each and every single one of these promises. And more than that, God doesn't just remember these things as moments in history, but God stays faithful to them. Throughout the centuries, throughout thousands of years, God continues to work towards a solution to answer, to bring about the redemption of these promises. I mean, what's happening here in Luke comes 400 years after the promise in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, about a Messiah who would enter into the world in order to restore the kingdom of Israel. 400 years later, and God is still at work. 400 years later, and I imagine in the midst of that period of waiting, that there are people who would go up to these followers of God, these God-fearers, and say to them, well, your God forgot about you. How long are you going to wait? How long are you going to sit here and wait for God to answer this promise? It is clear. It's been 400 years, and you are still waiting on God. Go, live your life, because your God doesn't care. But that isn't the case. Because in the promised birth of Jesus, in her song of praise, Mary is able to see and to recognize that God has always, always been faithful to the promise, to every promise. God remembers. God restores. God works to restore all things. God set in motion a plan to reunite us with our creator, to restore the world to the way that it should have been how it should have looked this whole time so that this world can become a mirror image of those early days of creation back in the Garden of Eden where God was able to walk alongside of creation and dwell with his people. God is looking to restore the world and so he created a pathway towards restoration through the birth of Jesus. And Mary here recognizes the path that God is carving out, this movement towards restoration that God is actively moving to bring about reconciliation, to bring about harmony, to bring about shalom, this peace and wholeness and stillness that this world so desperately needs. And God launches this new campaign through the birth of his son and Mary gets it. She sees the whole image. She sees the way that God is inviting us into new life. How God is inviting us into systems of justice and righteousness and goodness. She sees the way that God will challenge human systems and our hearts and calls us to consider our own intentions and our own habits so that we can all fully participate in this world made new. God remembers. God restores. God allows us to respond. God didn't dictate to Mary the perfect response. God didn't look at Mary and say, you should be grateful for this thing that I've done for you. 
I am blessing you. You should be excited. Look at what I'm doing for you. Look at what I'm doing through you. You're just a child. God doesn't say any of those things. Rather, Mary is given the opportunity, the agency to formulate her own thoughts, to come to her own conclusions. She's granted this ability to look at all of the evidence and then decide for herself how she is going to respond. And thousands of years later, we are all given the same chance. At a time where you would think God would force our hand and say, just believe in me, look at this thing, just believe in me. God doesn't do that. God gives you the space, the freedom to come to your own conclusions. And so we consider all the questions. What am I gonna do? How am I going to respond to this thing that I've heard? I, I can choose to uh, reject it. I can say, That's, this, this isn't enough for me. I'm gonna push that away. Or I can choose to step in to enter into this process of joining up with God and being a member of the ministry of reconciliation. And so as the band returns to the stage, let's take a moment just to consider that. How will you respond to this gift? How will you respond to the good news of what God is doing here in this world, here in this equalized, upside-down kingdom. I think there are three ways that we can really think about it. The first is pure curiosity. We hear the story about a miraculous birth. We hear a story about a child becoming pregnant, about this new thing happening, Jesus entering into the world. And I think we can respond with curiosity and say, I've got a lot of questions. There are a lot of things that I need to consider about what has just been told to me. You can respond with curiosity and enter in and say, I'm going to say yes to this idea. I'm going to accept this new idea, but I'm going to ask questions. I want to talk to a pastor. I want to talk to somebody on staff. I want to talk to a ministry leader because some things don't make sense. Some of the things in the story of Jesus bringing new hope, bringing new restoration, bringing new life into the world, they don't match up with my lived experience. So I've got questions and I want to talk to somebody. If that is you, if that is how you are going to choose to respond with lots of questions, I welcome that. I'm an Enneagram 5. And if you don't know anything about the Enneagram, that's okay. This is a perfectly safe space. But what that means is I like to absorb information. I take a lot of time to process new things. My least favorite thing, I'm going to say this out loud. My apologies, Jed and Britt. My least favorite thing is when I'm sitting in a meeting and someone says, Danny, what are your thoughts? And I have to come up with it on the spot. I like to take my time when I make decisions. I research things that I don't even own yet. I like read instruction manuals of like a new blender to see how it's gonna work before I purchase it. That's the kind of person that I am. Yes, wow indeed. <laughs> I'm a curious person. I think some of you in this room are curious as well. I think some of you in this room have fantastic questions that deserve to be asked that deserve to be heard by somebody who can sit with you. And maybe that person won't have an exact answer that's gonna make that question go away from burning in your mind. But maybe it'll just be helpful to have someone listen to you, to sit with you and help you unpack what you're feeling, to walk with you through that process. So maybe that's what you've heard today. You've heard a story. You've seen how God remembers, how God restores, how God is asking you to respond. You say, I'm gonna respond with curiosity. I've got all these questions. If that is you, we welcome you. But maybe, maybe you're a little bit beyond that stage. 
You don't have a lot of questions. Maybe you would say uh, it's beneath you. Maybe for you, the way that you can respond is with a commitment, with a new commitment. Maybe you can respond to what Mary is doing by committing yourself and choosing to step into a new role through choosing to engage with God here in this moment, to say yes to being a part of this new life, of being a part of this community and being a part of this church. Maybe you can commit to bringing in this kingdom. Maybe that's the way you commit. Or maybe if you've already made a decision to follow Jesus, you would look at your life and say, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian. Yes, I've done that thing. Maybe for you, it's just a commitment to to engage in a deeper level of ministry. Maybe for you, the commitment you can make is to join a ministry to help to lead people into deeper freedom, into deeper life, into new access to the kingdom of God. Maybe for you, you can commit to a life of helping people find and follow Jesus. If you're looking for a space, I've got plenty of space in middle school and in our tech booth. But maybe that's what it is for you. You've heard the story. You've heard what's happening. You say, I need to do something I'm either gonna commit to following Jesus, to saying yes to this call that God is putting on my life, or I'm going to say yes to entering into ministry, to joining up and partnering with what God is doing here at Sunridge. You can be curious, you can choose to respond in commitment, or maybe, maybe none of this applies to you. Maybe you need a third level, a third thing to do. I imagine that for many of you, for many of us, I'll include myself in this, the season's been hard. The season has been difficult. Lots of things have happened. Uh, what you thought you understood about the world has been drastically shifted. Maybe you have more questions than you started with. Maybe you found yourself in a situation where you're looking around and every time something good starts to happen to you, something else comes along and knocks it over and says, slow down. And now you're left in this period where your faith is a little bit shaken, where your heart hurts, where you're longing for something else. Maybe for you, the way that you can respond to what God is calling you into today is through regaining your composure, through standing up, to brushing yourself off and saying, I'm not done with this yet. I have my questions, I have my hurts, I have my concerns, but I don't think God is done with me yet and I am not done with God yet. Maybe that is how you can respond. By choosing to just stand up straight, to look at the circumstances of your life and recognizing that God is still in them that you just have to maybe try a little bit harder to see, or maybe you need to let something go so that you can see something that is holding you back, that you can let go of the chains, break every chain so that you can focus on Jesus. Maybe you need to regain your composure. Maybe you can look at the response of Mary, this 13, 14 year old girl who was given information that would have shaken her life that was coupled with social stigma, that was coupled with judgment, that was coupled with so much aggression, so much new life. And instead of allowing herself to say, God, I'm done. I don't wanna do this. I don't wanna be a part of this system that you're bringing. Instead of rejecting it all, she looked at what the angel was asking. She looked at the life that God was inviting her into and she regained her composure and said, I'm all in God. I'm all in however you want me to be. If that is through the birth of this son into the world, yes. 
If that is through watching my son grow up, yes. If that is through letting you just have full control over me, over my life, yes, I'm gonna regain my composure in this response that I can gain access to something even greater. Knowing the whole time that God will remember the promise, that God is working to restore knowing that God is here with us in this moment and has been for all time and will be for all time, knowing the goodness of God. Will you respond with curiosity? Will you respond with new commitment? Will you respond with new composure? Will you stand and worship with us this morning? Hey everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, keep helping people find and follow Jesus.